Humility is like underwear. But it is indecent if it's seen. And religious people, they're working so hard to be humble. Humility is like undergarments, but it's indecent if you see it. As I begin to hear what the Holy Ghost had to say to me and the Lord speak to my heart and my heart melted in his presence with joy and he caught my breath, I remembered two things. Firstly, the first thing that he showed me and that was in relationship to the forgiveness of sin as we confess it and acknowledge it. And in Hebrews 8, verse, uh, uh, verse 10, turn with me here. It says, oh, look, I wanted to show you something. Maybe we can show that later on when we're having communion. Um, in, in Hebrews 10, uh, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. Now, remember, this is the covenant that he's making with you because he's writing to the Hebrew believers. And he said, after those days, I will put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And none of them will teach his neighbour, none to his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds will I remember no more. The only, the only way you can really know the Lord, really the foundation of knowing the Lord is that he has forgiven our sins. And he hasn't remembered them. He's forgotten them. And he's removed them as far as the east is from the west. And as I begin to consider this truth, the Lord began to impress upon me um, the incredible achievements of man. The remarkable achievements. Alva and I with Brett and Donna were in Dubai recently. And I love mainly two reasons why I love going into that part of the world is to be in one of the most phenomenal churches I have ever been in in my life. That's the most important reason. But the second is to see the magnificent structures that they are building in that part of the world. Um, just remarkable structures and the same down in many places in Abu Dhabi. One of the, one of the programs that I love on TV is mighty structures and they talk about ships and they talk about bridges and they talk about tunnels being carved through mountains and, and all, all, all the high-rise buildings um, and the design of them and, and uh, the quality of them and every other thing and it, and it captivates me as, and I love, to, I love to see it and consider it. There's a, there's a building on, in Abu Dhabi that, that's like the moon or like the sun, it's just completely round, an eight-story skyscraper that's completely round. And it's a fascinating thing. There's a building that they built in Abu Dhabi. It has a bigger lean on it than the Tower of Pisa. And what they did when they built it, the core structure, concrete, they had to build it this way, that when they built the, the, all the living quarters and the hotel quarters, this side, it pulled that core straight. 
But this building, it's a magnificent structure. And when I was down in Abu Dhabi before I preached, um, I said, you've got to take me and let me see this building. I want to go and see this building. I've got to go and have a look at this. I didn't go inside. But I want to go and have a look at this. And I get caught up with the incredible achievements of man. When you see uh, what we have accomplished, the advance in science, the advance in technology, um, uh, the advance in medicine, uh, it's quite remarkable. Even though in all of these things, we haven't come to the nth degree of the disciplines of what man has involved himself in life. And it's quite remarkable that God has given to us the ability, mankind, to do these things and achieve these things. And my heart turned to the scripture in Psalm 5. Sorry, Psalm 8. David is quite a remarkable man. And if I could have a revelation of the living God as David did, I'd be very full and complete. But in Psalm uh, 8, he says this, and he's talking of the Lord, and he says, Lord, how, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, and out of the mouths of babes and, and nursing infants you have ordained strength because you are enemies that you may silence the enemy and your avenger. When I consider... When I consider the heavens and the work of your hands and the moon and the stars and that you have ordained, what is man that you were mindful of him or the son of man that you visited him? And you know, it's not that we shouldn't consider what we've achieved, what man has built, I mean, what man has, has, has accomplished. The advance in, in it's, it's such a shame because of sin, because of, 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 of the wickedness of a man's heart. We can be so destructive as well. But the advance in our society in, in, in so many fears is, is, is quite amazing. And I didn't enter into his presence to, to, to talk to him about this. He just began to bring this for me, before me as I was considering it. And then he began to show me why he cherishes humility. And uh, David the psalmist is considering the works of the Lord's hands. And then he says this word. He says, um, what is man that you're mindful of him compared to all of this? And the son of man that you should visit him. For you've made him a little lower than the angels and you crowned him with glory and honour. Really, one translation says this, you've made him only inferior to yourself. You have crowned him with glory and honour. When we compare ourselves to all of the other creative beings, it's clear that mankind has an ascendancy above every other creature that God ever created. When I consider this passage of Scripture, you've made him a little lower than the angels, truly in the in the Hebrew, that's Elohim. It's not angels. It's the same word that is used when God said, let us make man in our image. Elohim said, plural. Elohim can be used for uh, groups of people. But in that context in, in Genesis, it is that God is talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. I think sometimes we don't see the honour and the glory that he's placed upon mankind 
because of his immortality. Oh, sorry, because of his mortality. I don't think that we see the, the honour and the glory uh, compared to, but, but what in the animal kingdom or in the vegetable kingdom or in any other sphere uh, can compare with us? And he made male and female in his image and his likeness. And he's crowned us with glory and honour. God's desire is for you to know him. God's desire is for mankind to come into a relationship with him. And the only way that you and I can know him is, is through the forgiveness of our sins because it's in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to us to show us the heart of God, to show us the love that God has for us, to show us the ways of God. And when we consider that God has crowned him with glory and honour in the natural, God's purpose and God's redemptive grace and act is for, um, uh, um, uh, not to make you mediocre. God's, God's wonder, crowning of glory and honour is not that you be mediocre, but he makes you out to be spectacularly glorious. The Bible tells me in Romans 8 verse 30 that you can see his intent in weighing this. In an 8 verse 30, the scripture says, Moreover, whom he predestined, he called, and whom he called, he justified, and whom he justified, these he glorified. God wants to make you spectacularly glorious. There is a scripture in Proverbs 28, verse 14. And if you'd come with me there, it talks about fear. You and I know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We understand that. You and I know that God hasn't given to us a spirit of fear. In fact, I don't really believe there is, and I'm, I'm sometimes at odds with other Pentecostal preachers. They believe there is such a thing as a spirit of fear. I don't believe there is. When Paul makes the statement, I haven't got time to go there this morning because that's not where I want to stay. But when Paul makes the statement, God has not given to a spirit of fear, he's not suggesting that there is one. He's just saying he hasn't given to us one but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. It's bondages that produce fear. And the fear is, comes out of the heart because man has a capacity to fear because of his mortality. But he has a capacity to be great in the earth and to be glorious, spectacular and to achieve wonderful things. Albert Einstein said this, whatever there is of God and goodness in the universe, it must be worked out and express itself through us. 
We cannot stand aside and let God do it. Whatever there is of God and goodness in this universe, it must be worked out and express itself through us. We cannot stand aside and let God do it. In Proverbs 28, verse 14, the scripture is, happy is the man who is always reverent, or happy is the man that fears the Lord. But he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. That word reverent or the fear of the Lord has got to do with, it's the opposite to do with your heart becoming hard. It's the very opposite. And because of man being crowned with glory and honour, inferior only to God alone, we can achieve incredible things. God wants to display himself and his glory through you. We've got to be careful that this honour and glory that he crowns us with doesn't corrupt our hearts. Turn with me, please, to the passage of Scripture in in, uh, Isaiah 14. For there in that passage we find the account of how sin originated in the earth. And it tells us of Lucifer, who was the most beautiful creature that God had created. And he said, how you have fallen, verse 12, from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you were cut down to the ground, you who did weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And I will also sit in the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And I'll be like the most high. It's interesting that in the book, the Chronicles of the Brothers, and was that the name of the book, the, the books of, that I encourage you to read, the Chronicles of the Brotherhood of the Chronicles? And it's a story uh, put together by somebody who began to write about the fall of Satan and, and uh, the opposition now that Satan and his angels have against mankind. His opposition is not just to the church. His opposition is to mankind. There was an envy in it that they portrayed it, but as I read the book, it was fascinating to me how in many parts of the book there was a bit of fantasy and interpretation, but there was amazingly accurate about a lot of scriptures. And I was reading it to Alvin when we were overseas, and, and um, uh, I, I would say this woman who wrote this book, she has got an incredible theological grounding. Because many people wouldn't pick up the aspects of what she said was between fantasy and scripture. And none of the fancy, fantasy uh, or, or make-believe or how her interpretation was was contrary to scripture. And then I began to do a research and found out that her father was a pastor. And then I began to understand that her father must have taught her the scriptures to write these three books. But there was a, there was a place in the book where she described how that Satan had this longing. There was a place in the book where she described how Satan 
Misty's presence. Miss the closeness of the relationship. And she described it so beautifully and so descriptively, and I thought, even though he's the enemy, he's the adversary, in his heart, he'll never be able to have that back. And he sets himself even harder against mankind who was made in God's image and likeness. Come with me to Ezekiel chapter 28. In this passage of scripture, again, we find the reason for his desire to um, exalt himself. In Ezekiel 28, reading from verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you, you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in all your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. And then going down, I don't want to read the ad, but nothing wrong, I just want to save time. And down to verse 17, for your heart was lifted up because of your beauty and you were corrupted because uh, be, corrupt, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And I cast you to the ground and laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. The interesting thing is that as God has crowned us with glory and honour, we've got to be careful that what God crowned us with doesn't corrupt our lives. And there's a real danger that we have a tendency to even submerge ourselves into some sort of form of humility or denial that doesn't really glorify him. Not that we brag or boast, but we somehow submerge ourselves trying to be humble, feeling in some way that we're not worthy and we're not. But that's not the point that I'm trying to make because as you consider your unworthiness, it's to produce a humility that will respond to him in gratitude and thankfulness and not at the belittling of yourself. God wants his people to be bold. And humility is an undergarment that is indecent when it's seen. It corrupted him. The most beautiful creature that God ever created. Here there came the expression of sin into the universe. And he gave expression to it because of his pride, because of the benevolent benefactor and the way that he created him. You see, if I look into the scriptures, if you would come with me, please, to Daniel chapter 5, you'll find an interesting passage of scripture there in Daniel chapter 5. It's talking about Nebuchadnezzar. It says here, um, of course, he's, he's talking to Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, but I want to read this passage in verse 17. And Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing of the king and make known to him the interpretation. Um, uh, that's the handwriting on the wall situation. O king, most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father, really your grandfather, a kingdom, majesty and glory and honour. And because of the 
majesty that he gave him, all the peoples and nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whoever he, whoever he wished, he executed, and whoever, and whoever he wished, he kept alive, and whoever he wished, he set up, and whoever he wished, he put down. You see, when you read this passage of Scripture, God had no problem giving this man world dominion. And God has no problem giving you glory and honour. In fact, he wants to make you spectacularly glorious. But the Bible says when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was disposed, deposed I should say, from his kingly throne. And they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men. And his heart was made like a beast. And his dwelling was with wild donkeys. And they fed him grass like ox. And his body was wet with dew, uh, with the wet dew from heaven. Till he knew that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men. And appoints those to whom whoever he chooses. It was Daniel that nursed him until he was well. He was kicked, I think, if my memory serves me correct, haven't got time to go there for seven years and live like an animal. He was insane. He went off his head. And when he eventually came to himself, God restored him. It's no problem with God giving man honour and glory. He loves to give it. But it's a thing because we're only made inferior to God. The thing that undoes us is a thing called pride. When I think of the woman Esther, she would have been, I mean, when I get to heaven, I think Elvis pretty smashing myself. But when I get to heaven, I'm after meeting Jesus and the man who told me about the Lord, making sure my wife and my kids are there. And I have a look around and see, if, where are you? We've got to march in a parade soon. They say, what? Yeah, we've got to take the final salute as we march together. The King of Kings will be taking the salute. People will be on the sidelines cheering. The angels that watched over you and cared for you and sheltered you and protected you for they were ministering spirits to the air to you the air of salvation and they have been guarding you and protecting you they'd be on the sideline cheering cheering them and and, and doing all that that wonderful celebration um, that you have made it I want to find Esther I reckon she'd be a showstopper but she became the queen but she never allowed her beauty to corrupt her heart She knew the purpose for which she came in to the kingdom. And when God begins to elevate you and crowns you with glory and honour, understand that it is a purpose. And God wants you to guard your heart against pride because what do you have that hasn't been given to you? Now, God doesn't want you to walk around trying to act humble because you shouldn't be showing your undergarments. It's indecent. God would like you to be friendly. 
God would like you to be bold. God would like you to be encouraging. God wouldn't want you to be sippy religious of seeing who can be the most humble in the place. God certainly doesn't want you to be boastful. God wants you to be honourable. And as I began to consider the, the wonderful thing that the Lord was talking to me about, he began to speak to me about confidence. And at times we struggle with confidence and the Bible says, don't cast away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward, that after you've done the will of God, don't cast your confidence away. Believe the answer is coming. Confidence without humility truly is arrogant. And humility with confidence, sorry, humility without confidence is weakness. What a formula for faith is that we can have confidence and humility, but you just can't see it because it's the undergarments. And if I showed it to you, it would be indecent. 